Hello, hello, hello. What is up, everybody? I appreciate you taking the time to tune in to another episode of Huh. On this episode, I got the chance to sit down with Bruce Smith, who's the founder and CEO of Hydro. Hydro is an in-home rowing exercise machine, I guess you could say. Uh, maybe you better know Peloton as the bike or, you know, kind of SoulCycle as that product out now. But Hydro, please, please, please pay attention. If you have done rowing at the gym or I know Orange Theory is, is a workout, you know, incorporated rowing a lot. But it, you can't go wrong with rowing as an exercise. And, and this this product has really started to take the world by storm. It was founded about a year before uh, COVID hit. And obviously with, with the change in dynamics with that, you know, they've exploded onto the scene, but we didn't touch on too much about the business, you know, per se. I like to have conversations, as you may know, really getting to know a founder and, and what makes them tick and how they navigated to a place of founding and operating, you know, a business of scale. Um, and Bruce was very great with his time and, and, and his answers and, you know, spoke very thoughtfully. And one thing that just always, always keeps coming back is this notion of blind optimism. So I hope you enjoy the, the episode and give me some feedback. You can hit me up on Twitter at Ty Schmidt five. You have a great rest of the day. This is 1.37 p.m. Stories of hustle and grind from the intersection of culture, style, music, and sports. What is up, everybody? I am here with Bruce Smith, the founder, CEO of Hydro. I'm honored to be able to take some time with him today and really tap into, you know, what I'm I'm fascinated by. I'm a big, you know, athlete myself and and I've always loved and had a, a passion in and around sports. And I've always been fascinated. I have loved coaching. You know, I always thought if if I wasn't, you know, doing the job working in media I'd be doing today, I'd be home coaching my high school lacrosse team and, and probably have as much passion or enjoyment in it. Um and so I want to kick it off, Bruce, over to you. As as an athlete or or someone that's engaged in in sport and competition, what's that meant for you transitioning over to the business field? Lacrosse, oh no, <laughs> uh, yeah. So rowing and lacrosse, always competing for the same people. Um, it's really you know business is. Uh, I actually think of business a lot more like art, but sports art too. You know, like the the, the things that people create. Um, on the field or on the water, whatever it is, you know, like it really is this uh, piece of art and you're striving for perfection. And it's this uh, moment when people come together and they, they work really, really hard and they practice and practice and practice and they try and fly, find flow and they do all this stuff, but then they have this moment of performance and everybody tries to contribute to, you know, to an outcome. And it's really beautiful. And it's, it's the same thing in business. You know, it's, it's that same, effort. I think that in good businesses anyway, I think in bad businesses, people don't feel like they're connected to an overall mission or a goal and they, they may not understand what it is. And that was definitely, I've avoided like, you know, cube farms for my whole life. And, uh, I really 
I really see like almost no distinction between coaching and what I do day to day at Hydro. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of, it's the same thing. Yeah. You know, when I hear you say art, I think of what may be a lack of process. And when you talk about kind of the flow state, you know, for performance, mm -hmm. how, how do you think about, you know, as you scale, as a business grows, yeah. you know, the need and necessity for whether it be hierarchy, whether it be process, whether it be systems to create accountability versus allowing a bit of gray area to allow humans to think critically, enter that flow state and think of kind of their performance as, as art versus deliverable, deliverable, deliverable. You know, and it really depends on who you hire. You know, there are people in the world who, you know, for whatever reason, like they, they need control. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, maybe if I step back for a minute, arguably, like, um, maybe that's why people become CEOs because you have this illusion of control, but it really is an illusion. You know, it, it's not, um, it's not something you can really do. And so you have to hire a whole bunch of people who are comfortable with that kind of creativity and that kind of decision-making. And we try really hard at Hydro not to have uh, a hierarchy or a decision-making thing. It's not the highest paid check in the room that gets to make the call. It's the best idea that makes the call. And everybody rallies around the best idea. And agree, disagree, you know, you commit once you walk, up, walk out of the meeting or walk out of the Zoom call um, and the ideas win. And we, we really fight hard for that approach. And it's just, uh, it's a never ending task. And it's probably the most important job that I do is uh, keep leaning in on that and like, oh yeah, there's somebody who has like a ton of authority because they sign everybody's checks or they decide if you're going to advance from a career perspective. So they like, you know, the, the most important person says this idea and then everybody's like, well, I'm going to get behind that idea because I know that then I'll go along with this most important person. And I hate that with the passion of a thousand sons. Like mm -hmm. it is the best idea. Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter where it comes from, you know? So it's finding, finding those people who are comfortable in those situations and they're, you know, they're uh, precious. Like those people are, um, they're the, they're the rock stars and yeah. we really hard to make an environment where they want to be. I think, you know, coming up in school, high school, you know, college, the CEO is kind of always kind of so much put on a, on a pedestal and, and the driver and, and, you know, there is that almost education of they are in control. Everything, you know, kind of flows through them. How do you think about, that as an operator uh, of giving up kind of the control do you feel it's almost a kind of muscle a habit you, you almost have to build how, how do you come to learn that almost you know the way that you explain it it's it's really about empowering and putting people into positions and and bottom up versus top down but i feel from the outside so much the narrative is seemingly different it's really it's so bananas uh control is uh, chimerical, like it's and and not real. It's just not a thing. And the sooner people recognize that, the happier they will be as CEOs. You know, and and my job really, like, I have no control. You know, like the the people who run Hydro or like all the people that I work with day to day. Like, we talk about stuff and we sort stuff out. But if somebody wants to do something different, like I have maybe two or three bullets in my gun. And I can, I can insist on something like twice a year. 
Mm-hmm. But if I insist on three stupid things in a row, I'm not going to be the CEO anymore. And I shouldn't be the CEO. I don't want to be the CEO. Mm-hmm. Like that's the whole point, you know? And, and it's really, it's, um, it's discovering much more than controlling and trying to, you know, be on a team where people want to discover cool stuff all the time, discover what the limits are, discover how we can change our direct marketing mix to be more effective, how we can create a more beautiful product and opening up the doors so that people are willing to have those conversations at all levels and not trying to control the whole process. And it is this really uh, interesting balance because we have, you know, like real products that ship from Taiwan into people's homes in like London, England or Kansas city, you know, and uh, there are a bunch of logistical pieces that must happen on a given day at a given time. But all of that process really is like super creative. And we had to figure it out from the ground up and how can we do it in a more capital efficient way? How can we do it faster? How can we make that delivery moment like really surprising and fantastic for every single person? And so the, the opportunities for creativity are enormous and, it's stepping back from the idea of control and just like letting the guy who's responsible for that make all of those decisions and not saying like, Hey, we got to do it this way. You don't do it the best way. What's the best way. Yeah. And so it's a competition of ideas all the time. Accountability. How do you think about that within the organization? We all hold hands around our mission, you know, and we have some really clearly stated cultural values and we hold each other accountable to the mission and the values. And if you're doing something that conflicts with those in any way, anybody around the table has like the talking stick to be like, wait, that contradicts uh, the most beautiful human experience. You know, like what we're trying to do is actually create like this moment in your day, 20 or 30 minutes. That's the best part of your day. What you're doing right now, like the way that you're talking to me or trying to, uh, trying to create something that conflicts with that. Anybody in the whole company has absolute permission to say like, wait, no, that conflicts with our, with our core values. And I think that is um, like, that's the whole piece for accountability. And if you, if you're adding to the mission, great. And if you can't see how we stop and we talk about it, we're like, wait, does this really add to the mission or is this mm-hmm. like in conflict? Like we really want you to use your hydro, you yeah. know, three or four times a week is what you're doing right now going to add to that or detract from that. And if you can't say very clearly how it's going to add, stop. Don't do yeah. that. Just do something smarter, better. You know? Has it been a, a challenge as you grow and scale to keep a singular focus ar- around mission? Is there Has that proven to have been a, a challenge? And how do you kind of deal with that as you add, whether it's, you know, bodies or customers or, you know, new products? How is it, talk to me about keeping that singular focus as there's more things to, to keep an eye on. Yeah, we had to uh, carve out time to talk about culture and mission specifically and build like daily and weekly mechanisms so that it got shared really consistently. In the beginning, you know, it literally it was me and, and this guy, Chris Paul, sitting at his uh, kitchen table starting the company. And we have been, uh, we've been a very, very fast company. So we built a hardware product and we put it in, in 12 months. Yeah. And then, you know, the pandemic happened and we, we've, we've quintupled in size and then we were more than doubling in size this year. So there's this extraordinary velocity. And as part of that, we've had to say like, okay, core values and missions, 
deserve at least 20% of our attention all the time. So there's that kind of overhead and the way that we describe it, it's super tactical. If you're used to working eight hours in a day, if you work for Hydro, you're probably going to work eight and a half hours because you're going to spend an extra half hour talking about stuff with people. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to do that, you should probably go work for Raytheon. You know, like totally cool. Mm -hmm. You're not our kind of person. I love that. Going back to, you know, say kitchen table, starting the business, you know, you, you were in and around really not tangential, but, you know, the sport, right? And, and a product then came out of it. It's, I, I speak to, I have friends, you know, themselves that, you know, have such passion, you know, for certain things and then work a job that they don't love, you know, and, and talk to me about, did you, was it an exercise of, hey, is there a market for this? Hey, can we get the product? Like, the pre-work versus jumping in and saying, I believe in this, this is my passion, a little bit more gray versus black and white. What was that kind of moment for you? How did you get over what I'll call the hump to, to start the business in general? Yeah, I think uh, people in my position suffer from, uh, it was described to me once as like an overwhelming sense of, oh, we can get it done. Like, it, like there's just mm -hmm. this like basic optimism. And it's highly unlikely, like building hardware. I, I did not appreciate when I started <laughs> just how hard it is to fund a hardware company. Yeah. And, um, people who get over that hump just have this unrealistic optimism. And it starts, you know, it started when I was 10, like I built these, uh, brass candlestick holders and, um, I built like a few of them. And then when I was 12, I got an order for 25 of them. And I like, I built them all by hand and it turns out that the materials I was using were like technically not supposed to even go together. Solder and brass don't like actually stick to each other, but somehow I made it work and it was like a total bubblebee project, you know, where mm -hmm. like it shouldn't work, but it did. And if you get a couple early wins that reinforce that optimism, then you start to think like, oh, anything's possible. And I think like a lot of it just has to do with luck, you know, and um, I definitely don't want to underrepresent just how lucky we've been, you know, in terms of our ability to get things done and get the resources we need and find the right people. Mm -hmm. uh, there's so much serendipity involved. And once you get that kind of optimism and you get a couple wins, you're like, oh yeah, we can totally do anything. And Belief. yeah, I, I really believe strongly, like in coaching, like when I used to have to hire a lot of coaches for rowing, I would look really carefully at the first part of people's career. And if in the first year or two, they had won a major race, then they were going to go on to be really successful. But if they get off to a start where like maybe like luck of the draw, maybe they don't have great athletes or it's a bad day at the races, then it becomes very, very hard for them to turn mm -hmm. that around and get the belief you need to win a race. Yeah. So there's like early good luck. And then um, after that, it just, you know, builds on itself. Yeah. It's, it's funny you say that and we we had a little jab about boston new york sports just before that i was out with some yeah. buddies the other night and i grew up a big yankee fan and you know jeter and tino and all those guys and you know now the yankees spend a ton of money and, and they've always spent a ton of money um but you know we've got superstars on nine-figure contracts that you know by and large have never won anything and i worry when i see that because I say, how are they supposed to have the hunger and the drive to win 
if they've already won in other ways that aren't aren't championships right and i think to your point sometimes you you fall into the luck of blind optimism because something goes well and and you don't maybe know otherwise and and you and you keep to that you know belief do you feel it's your job to instill that in employees i i know hiring is such an important thing like you mentioned you know around culture and and the people you bring in but on a day-to-day basis do you believe it's part of your role to inspire that that blind belief that blind optimism that we are going to succeed it's more that i see my job as um making sure that people understand what our mission is and that the mission is worth the price Mm -hmm. and yeah, like our jobs are all really hard. And, and I believe people at Hydro actually work harder than any anywhere else that I've, I've been around, truthfully. Mm-hmm. Like the, the people that I work with are inspiring in that way. And they do it because uh, making somebody's day better, you know, and, and actually having like a tangible, measurable impact. Like when you exercise for 20 minutes, you feel better yourself, you're kinder to other people. Arguably, the world gets to be a slightly better place. Like the mission is worth it. You know, and so my job is to make sure that that mission stays front and center and that people understand why they're there. And as, as long as they understand the why, um, you know, not to lean too hard on Simon Sinek, but it, mm-hmm. if people get that, then everything else becomes very achievable. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm certainly like, I love going to work because I know that we're trying to do this thing and, and I hope other people feel that way too. Yeah. How do you keep yourself in check? How do you keep your day-to-day waking up and and making sure that you're spending your time appropriately i don't (laughs) i just i do uh i love working um and i try to say i'm a believer in saying yes to everything Mm -hmm. and um and i'm just limited by time you know and energy and so the only thing that I do, I work really, really, really hard at finding some time every day to calm my brain down. Yeah. And um, there are different, you know, like you can exercise or you like you can spend some time by yourself or like different people who use different stuff. And um, do you I what what and, what do you, do you have something you're hot on right now in that regard? Does it change? Has no, it been habitual for your whole life? No, it definitely changes. So playing the piano helps a lot, and uh, also you know rowing obviously is like mm-hmm. super meditative it is this repetitive thing that yeah. engages your whole body and uh, walking is amazing you know yeah. like i use walking a lot and and then sitting still like actually sitting still and putting all the screens away and it's so painful you know like the dopamine yeah. withdrawal is like significant but even 10 minutes of that um chess helps a lot like yeah. for me i don't know like i think like that abstract thought and trying to figure out puzzles that i'm not very good at um is really yeah. All, all of those things contribute contribute really significantly. And if you don't do that, I think you you lose your ability to tell stories and you lose your judgment. You know, and that's really crucial. Are there any new hobbies you've you've kind of picked up and enjoyed? It, it, it sounds like, and I think that's super important. Is you know putting yourself in a position, you know, yourself CEO from the outside, successful, doing things well, and and then grounding yourself in something that it's like day one again is there anything that, that's coming to your life recently so yes actually uh 
so I went to school in French. I, I grew up in New Brunswick in Canada. And so I went to school in French. And, and at one point in my life, I was fluently bilingual. And you couldn't tell if I was Anglo or Francophone. And I, my accent is just atrocious. And so um, when I wake up at the night now, I go into a quiet room and I read French out loud to myself and try and get my mouth to work again. And it is so embarrassing. I have to do it. Like, <laughs> yeah. sometimes I can't make any of the right sounds. I sound just like it. Like yeah. It's, yeah. How uh, how about product versus operations? Do you have a, a a passion one towards the other, mix of both? Where where's your thought product, on that? Yeah, no, I'm a total product product person, and uh, I love that. I, I think operations are super cool, and and I enjoy it. But I really feel passionately about the like the creativity and the there are these leaps that happen with product where something that wasn't there at all, like it just didn't exist. And then, and then, you know, five minutes later, there's something in the world and it's so surprising. And then to have other people be able to experience it. And so I, I love those moments when, especially with the team, like a team's working together and it happened with the shape of the hydro. Mm -hmm. There was this moment, you know, we had talked and talked for like three months and we were on this deadline. We were meeting on a Friday afternoon to choose the shape of the hydro, what it was going to look like. And the night before this woman, uh, Judy Miller uh, came up with a whole new idea and it was inspired from, we had all these pictures on the wall, Maserati Ghibli from 1971 and a, uh, you know, a rowing shell from uh, 1985 and uh, the picture of waves. And so she mashed that all together and made the shape of the hydro in one night, like just like a blinding flash. Mm -hmm. And so we've been developing these three other designs and um, we blew it all up and there was this moment where like, oh, and now that's the shape of hydro and it's going to be iconic with the company, I, I hope, for, you know, decades. Yeah. And uh, those moments are so much fun. How, you know, it's it, it's kind of a repetitive thing, but I, I, it's, I glean from just my own experiences of, you know, I think obviously blind optimism, you know, saying yes to, to things, but if you've got, you know, you're talking about a product decision that for a company's, I'd imagine a lot of brain power, time, energy, resources spent in, in the preparation. And then, you know, things change the night before the, the final decisions to be made. And, you know, I think that for a lot of individuals that can be draining, you know, the, the, the quick change gear and now we're, we're heading back, you know, the other way. How do you, you think about that? Because, it's almost like the empath, you know, issue of, you know, that's the right thing to do. And, and then you've got a, a lot of, you know, emotional, maybe baggage of other employees. And, and you've mentioned, hey, maybe it's not the Hydra is not the right company for you if you can't deal with that. But humans are humans. And, and, and how do you think about about that? It is really hard and it does happen a lot. And I frequently feel like I cause a lot more chaos um, than mm -hmm. I do forward motion mm -hmm. uh, with hydro and I try really hard to um, give people time to breathe around stuff and uh, we do make really sharp turns um, and sometimes we don't do a good job communicating company-wide around it and people are like what the mm -hmm. and it takes a little bit but we go back to our North Star we go back to the mission we say is this going to help or hurt and if it hurts then we'll change our mind again you know we'll pivot back but uh, generally speaking because people do have that thing right in the core of all of their decision making, you know, that we really are trying to do this good thing. Mm -hmm. um, 
the missing piece is usually communication. Yeah. So it may look like a sharp turn, but it's actually like the smartest thing to do. Yeah. And you just have to take a little more time to communicate around it. Yeah. And it doesn't always work. And so we, we do have some people who, you know, disagree, but we have a really clear understanding like, yeah, you can totally disagree. You just have to commit a hundred percent. Yeah. And you know, if you disagree five times in a row, then, you know, like I said, like, okay, let's have a conversation. Like maybe this isn't a great place for you. Maybe, maybe you don't vibe with what we're trying to do, or maybe the way that we do things is like too uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so that doesn't necessarily make them the the individual, you know, one bad at their job or a bad human or or any of that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. And we have a really, um, we, uh, we get to know people quickly and if they are a great fit, we, they stay. And if they're not a great fit, uh, they don't stay. And mm-hmm. we have great relationships and really good, uh, actually like the people that I've terminated, I, I'm still really good friends with because it, mm-hmm. it just made sense, you know, yeah. and a really, really low attrition rate as a company overall. So actually something really I'm proud of, you know, people just don't leave. Yeah. Nice. As a, uh, a product guy, are there any, kind of key things over your life innovation wise or, or just use of product that have inspired you or, or remain super nostalgic to you that, that maybe are still, you know, impacting your personality or, or how you go about your life. I love cars. I love cars so much. I had to give up cars. <laughs> <laughs> I actually I had to go on a car diet. I, um, uh, just before I started the company, I made a decision and I, it's not really, car diet because my wife still has a, a car but i had a um i've owned 60 or 70 cars and you know from complete jalopies to like very the most beautiful excellent you know cars you can buy and i think they're this amazing like dream of uh community pulling together to create this unbelievably complex thing that moves you around the world it's like they're superpowers and yeah. um I owned too many of them. And so just before I started hydro, I made a new year's resolution, no more cars or trucks or motorbikes. Yep. Um, and I so it was everything, the, even motorbikes. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. yeah, I have a bicycle, Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah. Uh, not even a good bike anymore. But the, uh, the car thing, I think is just so inspiring to see what people can accomplish when they, when they really apply like creativity and resources to, to make something beautiful like that. It's just amazing. Do you have a favorite, singular model or or car company or individual in in the kind of industry that's inspired you so the two cars that we used uh to inspire the shape of the hydro uh 1971 maserati ghibli and then also the 1970s citroen sm Mm -hmm. Um, they're pretty similar in shape but they have this um to me they still look incredibly modern like if you saw one today other than maybe the chrome you'd be like whoa that looks like like, you know, from 2050 yeah, and, uh, just the, you know, really remarkable, uh, machines. Yeah. Really cool. Nice. Uh, does F1 interest you at all? Formula Mostly from a business perspective. Yeah. I think it's fascinating. You know, it, it has very little traction in the USA mm-hmm. and it's this super, super powerful, um, creature that like Bernie Ecclestone created, you know, and it, it wasn't anything. And then, four years later, it's worth an infinite amount of money and has this huge amount of glamour attached to it. Mm-hmm. And when you think about car racing, like people driving around in circles, like, is that really interesting? You know, like yeah, yeah. And they've told stories about it. And I think there's some corollaries to, you know, to rowing that is like unbelievably dull to watch, like 
It's, yeah. um, you know, like watching a rowing race is like, so what is really going on and why do I care? Yeah. And um, I actually think there are some opportunities there to do the same kind of thing that F1 has done yeah. to make um, other things uh, really glamorous and cool too. On the storytelling aspect and, and going to the business a little bit, uh, you guys have linked up with Kevin Hart as creative director, I believe that was. Talk to me yep. a little bit about about that process, you know, leading up to it. it was, was there, hey, we, we lo- we're looking to bring on someone that can be part of our, our storytelling, our direction, you know, our brand representation. Did, was it you and Kevin met and then it was, hey, we'll do something together. How'd that come about? Yeah, you know, rowing has this horrible cultural overhang. It's like tall, lanky dudes from Harvard, you mm-hmm. know, who kind of mm-hmm. help the sport. And I, I know those dudes, and they're nice. And they, you know, generally speaking, like they, yeah. you know, they do work on the street, but they are not um, evil personified exactly. Yeah. And uh, but they do have this, like, you know, kind of elitist tendency. And so mm-hmm. I was really interested in finding somebody who is a like an amazing storyteller to really blow up what what we know rowing should be, which is this whole body activity that makes you feel great and should be accessible to everybody. So Kevin is like, he's the opposite. He is not a tall, lanky dude from Harvard. He's short, he's black. Mostly though, um, he loved working out on the hydro. Like mm-hmm. he totally got it, he used it. So he, you know, he did, he used to not work out and then he started working out a lot. And it's become this like, thing that he's really obsessed about and he works with the boss and like it's a real thing it's not mm-hmm. like when you, you see kevin on film yeah like that is kevin you know and he is just wildly talented at telling stories so it was the it was the first conversations that we had and you know he was he was going to be an investor um you know like people in hollywood have like this network where they're like oh that's a promising company yeah. i'll throw some money in and yep. then make a few extra bucks it's great but with Kevin, like he's just so unbelievably great at communicating uh, to everybody. Like he has this instant relatability. But more than that, like the way that he understands how people use words and stories is just it's next level. Yeah. Like there's a reason he's a top five star in the world. It's yeah. not because he has a machine behind him. It's because he is that creative. Yeah. And so the Hydro High campaign. We worked with Mojo Supermarket, this guy Mo Saeed, to create the campaign, but it was because Kevin was motivating us to make it simpler, clearer, relatable. It has to be two words. It has to be three words. You can't tell the whole story of Roman. You can't explain in my sort of ridiculous way, like, you know, like, give me five paragraphs. Yeah. I'll tell you. Why it's like, beautiful. The whole night. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's got to be like, like two words. And so having him on board really has influenced us in a really powerful way. And, and I mean, you just look at him, like it just blows up any kind of preconception you have about like weight growing kind yeah. of hard, like, yeah, no, totally. All right. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. The, the, like, you know, irony is a very powerful thing and, and kind of these juxtapositions of high, low and, and kind of yeah. duality and, and all that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You mentioned when, when I asked about F1, you know, you mentioned you, you kind of see an opportunity to do some storytelling around rowing and, and hydro be a part of that. Something that I believe is very well received and, and has been a major part of y'all product is, is kind of the immersive experience, you know, the, the, the different, you know, classes or, or locations that you guys have built into it. How do you think about, you know, building the product for in the home, 
um, and, and to use in a singular location and then juxtapose that with you've spent so much time in boats, in the water, and, and no matter what, those experience is one greater than the other, not saying that, but different. Is there a place for hydro to, to go out, you know, and be a part of, of kind of in real life, I guess you could say, or, or some more yeah. kind of like on the water stuff? Yeah. So we trademarked the term live outdoor reality specifically because we want people who don't have access to the natural world in the way that they should to be able to access it in their home. And mm -hmm. so there's pretty solid scientific data, you know, like it's not just like some BS, it's actually real where like you need to experience nature. Mm -hmm. So the pillars of health, you know, like good sleep, uh, loving relationships, good nutrition, exercise, movement, like, like moving your whole body through the full range of motion and you have to experience nature like humans need that to mm -hmm. be happy and digital nature is actually better than no nature like it really does have a powerful impact and the experience of water is also a crucial part of that so when you look at population distributions around the world like it's all massed around water yeah. you know, people have this deep pre-conscious feeling that they need to be around water and that's why those beachfront properties cost you know, eighteen million dollars. And I think and, to your point, I, I could be completely wrong, but I, I just anecdotally, there's probably they probably live healthier lives. Those that are exactly, right. very close to water. And so, really democratizing that access and, and delivering it to your home, because truthfully, like we're all time starved, and we we commute, we drive, you know, whatever it is, mm -hmm. uh, we're on Zoom ten hours a day, uh, trying to scratch out a living that the ability to deliver that kind of um, extra boost to your whole health journey and make each day a little bit better is just crucial. And so making that uh, digitally accessible, really like it wasn't possible even like five or six years ago, like the bandwidth required to broadcast live from the water to a home was just, it was enormous, you know, and you could do it, but the production costs were like huge and you needed microwave trucks and it was really, it was onerous. And now we can actually create that experience. And it's not just like a GoPro on a boat. It's actually like a big team, you know, between five and 15 cameras. We're shooting like really immersively and we're setting up really, like we see this as a long-term play. So LOR right now is coming to you on a two-dimensional high HD screen. But in five years, it's going to be coming to you on your glasses that are going to yeah. be really comfortable to wear. Mm -hmm. And that, that immersiveness is an is a key pillar to that overall whole health journey. So we, we see that as crucial. And then, you know, the opportunity to bring that to life in competition and also have some really great storytelling around what's leading up to the Olympics and mm -hmm. what's leading up to world championships and indoor running championships and the crossover between esports and real sports that are done virtually. It's just a, it's a really high octane mix of opportunities. We're yeah. super, super pumped about it. That's exciting. To, to kind of wrap it up, I, I want to ask you a little bit about constant learning and, and kind of, you know, this notion of reaching success and, and how to continue to, to push yourself. You know, some may look at you like myself and say, wow, like, that's been success, you know, passion, build a business, knows everything, <laughs> yeah. you know, what yeah. have you. And, and then you've got a lot of those outside forces. And then, you know, just getting to know you a little bit, but you may either 
have that confidence about about yourself but but talk to me about just the the ongoing learning it takes to remain you know sharp to remain kind of there for all of your employees etc i read this article a little while ago you know about people and their trajectory and when you if you're if you study math and you're like a phd in math if you don't have a great idea by the time you're 30 you're never going to have a great idea you know and one of my heroes is uh John Milton, because he wrote Paradise Lost, his greatest work, when he, at the very end of his life, he was like old and blind. And he still produced this amazing work of creative genius. And I really, um, I really hope that I am the kind of person who can stay open and hungry. And um, I love learning, like it's the most fun thing I do all day. And I just, you know, Hydro in a lot of ways, like is just this, like, um, like this giant uh, supermarket of learning. Like mm -hmm. I'm surrounded by people who know way more than me and who are the best in the world at their jobs. Like we have just extraordinary leaders in the field and we all intersect and we, we live in this uh, common environment with a shared goal, but everybody is so radically different. So every time I go to a meeting, literally I'm learning new stuff. And it's, it's just so much fun. It's such a pleasure. I really don't, I don't think that success is a, thing like you don't get to a place and like the we have some investors who are billionaires and they should have stopped doing stuff long ago and moved to a beach if that was really what they're about but what mm -hmm. they love doing is this. they just love learning they love new stuff and i think the truly successful people all share that characteristic they're super super curious they love learning they're always interested in creating something new huh. um and I, I definitely don't see like I, I hope we don't you know, I'm not the kind of person who's like, oh, I made my money and I'm going to retire. Like, yeah. that's just not a thing. Yeah. So. On that, you know, as I put my myself in the shoes, I have a younger sister who's kind of recently joined the workforce. And again, a lot of individuals that'll listen to this conversation, maybe coming out of high school and starting a new job, coming out of college and, and starting a new job. And uh, and even my own team, we're up to, to 35 people now. And I observe a lot of of almost kind of, hey, if I'm not bringing value, you know, day one or, or, or giving, you know, I can't take, I need to give. And if I'm not giving what they want, I'm, I'm not, you know, succeeding or, or being of value. And I think, you know, I've always, I, I journal a lot and I used to always journal when I first started at VaynerMedia, I've, I've been there eight years now, I'd say, you know, you got to put yourself in challenging situations. What are you learning today? You know, talk to me a little bit about the mindset of maybe like an employee or someone that's just starting. Do you feel that they should be or how can you put your mindset, you know, the mind into, I need to also learn and extract, you know, while doing and, and you know, being part of the team? Yeah, it's really, there's this like weird push-pull. And I say this to every single person that I talk to. I, I try and talk to everybody who starts, you know, at Hydro. And um, we're not that much bigger than you. Like, you know, we have like 170 people or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so it's, um, <laughs> so people love to tell me good news and they hate to say bad news. And um, I really, I, I say, I literally explain it's super tactical. Like everybody tells me good news please, please tell me bad news. Like that is the most interesting and fun and the opportunities all come from bad news. Mm -hmm. Like read the newspaper, all the newspaper stories are bad news. Like that's what's interesting. Tell me the bad news. Yeah. And I'm not sure that it really works, you know, but I, yeah. I definitely try every day. 
And the only other thing I say, the other thing I say is like, it's my job to get you resources so that you can do your job. Like if you're not yeah. getting something, like it's my fault. Like you, like, do you need more information? Do you need more money? Do you need more help? Do you need more uh, cross, uh, cross functionality? Like do you need mm -hmm. more visibility? Like what is it you need to be able to have more fun at your job? And if, if you can tell me bad news and I can get you resources, then we're definitely going to be successful. Yeah. I think that's a, you know, that's a good way to wrap it up. I think, you know, fear can play a lot into that and, and creating an, an environment, you know, of offense and, and non-fear is such an important factor to it. Yeah, exactly. And it really, and it's just more fun, you know, like yeah. you get, like, I want to deal with people and their real thoughts, like, like this, you know, success theater, like we all know what happens with that. It's yeah. just a disaster for all involved. So let's have a real life. Let's try our best. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Love it. Well put. Well, Bruce, appreciate the time today. Thank you for coming on. Um, I know you've, you've got busy life yourself and, and we're all fighting for our time. So really appreciate it. Um, and cool. all the best. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Thanks for the conversation. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. If you've gotten to this part of the podcast, thank you. I appreciate you tuning in. I hope you've learned something. I hope you've taken something away from that conversation. And again, hit me on social. DM me on Instagram at Tyler. Let me know what you think. And if you've got any guests that you want me to have on and, and jam with and just have open conversation, please let me know. We're going to start recording these a lot more and, and getting them out. I'm excited. This is 1.37 p.m. Own your future. Start this minute. 1.37 p.m. is a Gallery Media Group original production.